As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Mauser Electronics. Not only does Mauser stock the world's widest selection of semiconductors and electronic components, they also offer an original content series called Empowering Innovation Together. Each month, EIT takes a deep dive into the hottest tech trends, and this month the focus is on 5G. Check out podcasts, articles, infographics, videos, and more at mauser.com slash empowering innovation. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe. Today, we're going to be talking about the bonkers, wild, epic v. Apple court battle and what it means for the app economy. This has been going on since last week and every day. It just seems like there are new revelations that kind of give us a better sense of like how this business of the app world and the app store works and what it means for competitors too. As always, please subscribe to the Engadget podcast on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. That's always helpful. And drop us a note at podcastengadget.com. You can also join us Thursdays around 10 a.m. Eastern for our live stream on our YouTube channel. And if you do that, you can join in for some Q&A too, which is always fun. And you may even end up on the show. Let's jump right into Epic v. Apple and everything going on here. And to chat about it, we have a great guest who has been on before to help us break down the GameStop stock situation. It's Mike Futter, founder of S-Squared Consulting, author of the Game Dev Business Handbook and co-host of the Virtual Economy Podcast. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me back. No problem. No problem. It's always informative. And also, you have a great sense of this business because... This is great because I've seen the news flying around for the past week. I've had my heads down like writing and doing reviews and other stuff. So can you just like tell us, first of all, um, from a high level, what is going on? Why is Epic and Apple fighting? I I mean, it depends on who you talk to, because what Epic is saying is that Apple is controlling the App Store, that they have complete monopolistic control. And what that means is there is no room for competition. There's no room for third party Uh, for third-party stores to come in. There's not even room for third-party payment processing, which is actually what kicked this whole thing off with Fortnite. So obviously, going all the way back to 2008, when the App Store started and Steve Jobs said, look, we're charging this this fee, and that's so that we can make the store. It's, you know, if we break even, great. That's that's kind of the goal here. Mm -hmm. And as we have learned, especially in that first few days of the trial with all of the documents dropping and all of the information coming out, uh, it, it, it more than breaks even now. The, the app stores is quite the moneymaker for Apple. For sure. And uh, I mean, it's worth like, let's take that step back to 2008, right? Because I don't think even Apple knew what the app store would be. And none of us kind of really knew the fact that we'd basically be living uh, in app stores. Like this would be the dominant form of distributing software. When they launched the iPhone, there was nothing, right? There were just web apps and Apple's like, deal with that. That's that's how you get software on your iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think if you look at kind of as as things evolve, not just on mobile phones, you look at Steam mm-hmm. and you look at the console marketplaces, which evolved through uh, the very very beginning of the Xbox and PlayStation right. Two era, but but in, in earnest in the Xbox three hundred and sixty and PlayStation three era. Um, so what emerged and and it, it 
it's remarkable to me that even five years ago, I don't think it was common knowledge what that revenue share was. Mm -hmm. I think that now, yeah, you ask anybody, what's the revenue share? Well, it's 30%. 30% is the default. (laughs) But five years ago, seven years ago, I don't think most people knew that. Most consumers certainly didn't know that. So there has been this evolution of information in an industry that is relatively secretive with its data. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at the time, you know, Apple was saying, look, we're going to create this app store. We're going to create this this marketplace where people can easily find your apps and they can easily put them on their phones in a safe way. And we're going to charge you for that. And we know that that fee is, is of course, 30 percent. And at the time, I think developers were were excited about the fact that there was going to be an easy way to deliver. Just like with Steam, there was this beauty of having automatic patching. Right, right. And a single and a single place where people could go, find your game, and you'd have access to this huge market. It was all boats rise with the tide. Mm-hmm. But what happened, and the App Store was the first place we saw this, there, were start, there was discoverability issues that started to pop up because so many apps started to flood the App Store. That benefit of reaching consumers started to become muted. Mm-hmm. And people started to question relatively early on, why are we paying 30% for this? And that has been the prevailing question. And if you look at the GDC uh, State of the Industry survey that just ca- came out, very few developers that responded to that, uh, th- to that survey, and there were thousands of respondents, think that that Steam, for instance, earns its 30%. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't recall if they asked about uh, about app stores as, or in general or if it was just about Steam, but I think the, the, the idea was that the cut needs to be lower now. So Apple has, has in part lost control of the messaging around the store and through expert testimony and a lot of the documents that have dropped during the first week of the case, especially, we found out that that, that Steve Jobs' idea of we're going to charge this 30% to break even uh, has amounted to what we calculate out to be over $4 billion in 2020 from the App Store. Amazing. And Trillin, I mean, you've been following all this stuff too, and probably from a different angle too, but do you have any thoughts about where we are now when it comes to app stores and kind of the control Apple and Google and the platform makers have? Do you think Epic kind of has a point here? Uh, oh, okay. Well, I mean, I think that's a different conversation that last bit, yeah, well, yeah. whether Epic has a point. I think sure, Epic has a to an extent a point, but I have to question the interest when a big company like Epic, and sometimes a company like Facebook, when they go against giant like Apple because they aren't happy with a certain setting or a certain policy. And then they say, no, it's on behalf of all these small businesses. To a certain extent, I think they they have a point, but I'm not so sure about their overall interest being the welfare right. of all these other competitors in the market with them. Mm-hmm. I will say uh, I am one of those people, Mike, that didn't know that 30% number up until today when you just said it like five minutes ago too. So I am not even familiar with what the, you know, what Google charges through the Play Store, what kind of a cut it's taking out of there. Mm-hmm. But I feel as if, you know, Google makes it a little bit easier for developers to do in-app purchases and stuff like that. They, you know, Apple seems to have issues with that because according to them, it's a privacy, potential privacy <laughs> vulnerability. People can charge you and scam your entire phone from there. So I... Look, I get it. I, I kind of get it from mm-hmm. Apple's point of view on that. But uh, it, it, it does seem like forcing all these app developers to be your way or the highway is mm-hmm. is kind of overbearing. And for Epic, the company that has the legal money to probably go against Apple is, is I guess, better than forcing all these smaller companies to have to band together to to talk to Apple. Well, I, yeah. I actually would rather hear what the smaller developers have to say about this. Uh, do we know I if any you. of them have come up to talk about that? Well, I mean, 
I, I think a Epic's idea here was that, yeah, they have the resources in order to fight this fight. And some of the internal documents that came out were acknowledging internally that Epic is not a sympathetic party right. when it comes to fighting Apple. Because as you said, we're talking about two mega corporations mm -hmm. clashing. So there were some things that, that Epic did. They had their Project Liberty campaign, which was their propaganda campaign in order to <laughs> sway people onto their side. And part of that was the Coalition for App Fairness, which they, which they co-founded, which is trying to make it not just about Epic, but about that whole developer economy mm -hmm. that is subject to uh, that 30% and can't do anything about it from their perspective. Can we talk about um, that Project Liberty, Liberty oh, thing, by the way? Because we, we discussed it last year when this kind of all started happening, which was the you know the wild 1984-esque uh, commercial Epic put out. It was basically a whole campaign. Right. Like this was the campaign was they had this marketing strategy uh, that they would do this big pushback against Apple. Uh, Epic started rallying its partners. But the thing Epic did, um, I believe a letter was sent, first of all, asking uh, they sent a letter to Apple, right, into Tim Cook asking, hey, can we just have another app store on your on your platform? And of course, the answer is no. Who who are you? Why? Why would I allow that on my platform? And then they did this thing in Fortnite. They sent an update to Fortnite, which uh, basically had the messaging, hey, if you want to save some money, go get your you know, your Fortnite bucks. Where are they, V-Bucks? Go get your bucks um, on the web. Because if you buy it on the web, we're not being charged a commission by Apple. Oh, which is, it was even more than that. Yeah, it was, yeah, they, yeah. Put a, they put an alternative payment processing oh, yes, mechanism yes. inside the app, which is absolutely a violation no, no, of no, the no, App Store no, guidelines. No, no, no. So that's like... All, all the red flags. Apple's like, yeah. I, I could just imagine Tim Cook in his uh, in his office just fuming because he knows what's going to happen. He's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to put a stop to this, but it will cause a tidal wave in the industry. Um, but hey, it's it's 2021. Is it time? Do you guys think for Apple to kind of start reconsidering the way its App Store works? Because there there are a lot of weird limitations, right? Because uh, app App makers have to, uh, they get charged 30% um, from Apple with any in-app transaction. So a lot of companies, uh, I think we've read in, you know, the various reporting, like Amazon actually has kind of a sweet deal with Apple because they get charged less. And I think that's the main thing, right? Epic was kind of annoyed that they couldn't get a sweet deal. I think they even mentioned during the trial that, hey, if Apple had just offered us a better price, uh, we wouldn't be having this whole legal fight right now. Um, so th there is all of that, but there's also like the restrictions, right? You can only use Apple's payment processor. You cannot even acknowledge that there are probably cheaper and other ways to access your services or your apps mm -hmm. or anything within the app. Like even if you can buy that stuff on the web, and this is a strategy, I believe Netflix and Spotify took on, right? Like where you cannot sign up for new subscriptions within the iOS apps. You have to go to the web. The iOS apps are only receptacle, and Amazon did this for a while too. Actually, still does it with Prime Video and uh, and Comixology and things like that. You can't subscribe to these services within the app because an Apple would take a cut of that subscription price. So they push you to the web to do it. So a lot of companies are doing this. You just can't explicitly tell users to go do that too. That is also a no-no, which to me seems unfair at this point. But uh, that, that is kind of it, right, Mike? Like everyone's just pushing back against all these various restrictions right now. Yeah. And and as you mentioned, there were some other things that came out uh, mm -hmm. when the when the suit was first emerging. And the WordPress story is one that, that uh, I'm reminded of where they wanted they were trying to force WordPress to offer uh, 
payments right. and subscriptions in the app, even though right. they're like, we don't want to do that. We don't want to give you the 30%. They're like, no, if you offer them on your website, and as you said, if you even mention them, like you have to put it in the app and we mm-hmm. have to get our cut. Yeah. So that was that was a whole thing that that was interesting. It, when the the day this all happened, it was like a game of Yu-Gi-Oh. And <laughs> yes, yes, because because you know Epic pushes out the the hot fix, which puts the payment plan in, and and of course Apple reacts and pulls in. It's like aha, you triggered my trap card. Now here's the yeah. lawsuit that we had yeah. all ready to go. Here's a lawsuit. Here's the marketing campaign. Here's everything. We're ready yep. for this. Yeah. Yep. And and that marketing campaign is, I think, probably Epic's biggest stumble. Mm-hmm. in this whole thing because i think they were counting on the press because they sent out press kits yep with t-shirts and the free Fortnite yep. stickers that look like the apple stickers please with the free are the biggest game in the world the game that just yeah. sits back and prints money please free it from the confines of this bigger fish that is currently eating us yeah and and we know how much Fortnite made right mm-hmm. and we know how much the royalties were and how much they paid to apple versus how much they paid to microsoft and sony so can you give so us yeah. a sense of those figures, Mike? Sure. Let me, I, I have them right in no front problem. of me. While, while you're saying that, I mean, I want to point out that our, our live stream chat, uh, we're going to just mention them during the audio show in portions today, but uh, they do bring up Mark Dell, one of our regulars says that I love that when Epic were asked if they got a special deal just for them, would they take it? And they said they would. Did Absolutely. this come up? Yeah. Absolutely. So, so this definitely shows they're not really there for the other little companies. <laughs> Uh, this yeah. whole campaign, this whole Project Liberty or CFAAF thing, um, <laughs> it's, it seems very insincere. It doesn't come from the intentions they say it is. And also, of course, um, that both companies are just looking out for themselves. These are huge billionaires. Oh, and our producer said this is a billionaire slap fight. Absolutely. I, yeah. You know what? That's a great way to put it. So I have the info on the royalties. Yes. So from January 2017 through October 2020, Apple was paid $237 million by Epic. All right? So that's over, what, a three-year period mm-hmm. almost? 27, 28, 29, almost four years period. In 2020 alone, Microsoft received $245 million from Epic. So in one year, the most recent year, they they received, Microsoft received more than Apple over a period of like four years. Mm-hmm. Sony was $451 million in 2020. So you get a sense that revenue-wise, Apple is not a huge piece of the pie. However, what we know is that 20% of Fortnite players were only on iOS. So of of all the Fortnite players there are. So that that also came out as well. What we're seeing is there is a mismatch between players and purchasing uh, because 12% also used iOS. So so more than 10% of players play on one platform and then also play on iOS. So what could be happening is if those are paying players, which of course Mm -hmm. it's a free-to-play game, so there's a difference. It could be that people are playing some on iOS, but not purchasing mm. on iOS. Okay. Now, Sony has figured out a way around this. Now, remember, they were they were holdouts on the whole cross-platform thing. And we found out through document drops and testimony that Sony has a special deal with Epic where it, there's a ratio of playtime to spend. And if that ratio gets out <laughs> of whack, Epic has to make it up. This is the wildest formula I've seen uh, yeah. in, in a while. And let's be clear here. So you're talking about Crossplay, which is the idea that you can play, uh, you know, against other people on other platforms. So Fortnite players can play, you know, if you're on Xbox, you could play somebody on, you know, PlayStation or on Switch or PC or mobile. Um, or or mobile. The thing is, this is also all Epic. Epic was also the big company kind of pushing that, right? Because of Fortnite, everyone's like, "Look, we got this great metaverse game. It's it's a shame all these players can't play together. Maybe you console makers should figure out, you know, mm-hmm. your beef." So mm-hmm. my game 
can be more successful across every single platform. And they kind of got their wish, right? Mm. They did. And it was Rocket League and Psyonix that that kind of opened the door on this with PlayStation PC Mm -hmm. cross-compatibility. And then people started asking questions and Epic accidentally turned it on (laughs) on on PlayStation for like a day. And I think people are like, you didn't accidentally do yeah. it, right? Like, There's you knew what you queens. were doing. This yeah. is such a drama queen move. Like, oops. Uh, yeah. So the whole the whole thing here is um, is that cross-play is, is one piece of the puzzle. It's the cross-progression mm-hmm. and unified accounts that really is where the money issue comes in. Mm-hmm. So Sony's saying, if we have a lot of people who are playing on our platform, but they're purchasing on the PC, they're, they're going to the PC to purchase their, their V-Bucks, because they don't want to add a credit card to PlayStation Network because they're still sore over the hack from a decade ago. Or they purchase on mobile or they purchase on Microsoft or or on Switch. We don't get a cut of that money, but we're still providing services because they're playing on our our platform. Mm -hmm. And because at the time, Sony was the the platform that did not have a paywall between players and free-to-play games. Microsoft recently announced that they're going to be putting free-to-play games in front of a paywall as well. Uh, but that's a huge change. So Sony had Sony's worry was people are going to play a lot on our platform, but they're not going to purchase, so we're not going to get any of that revenue. So they struck this deal. Now, if Apple had turned around and struck this, struck a similar deal with Epic, I don't know that we would be here today. Uh huh. Yeah, because that's it. Everybody would be happy. They just want to be treated specially. And I will say there is certainly a direct uh, effect of Epic's uh, lawsuit here because uh, it was this past October. Apple announced that uh, hey. We're just gonna. We are gonna lower the commission. We're gonna lower that fee by uh, for smaller developers. So developers making less than one million dollars, um, you know, one million dollars a year, they're only gonna be taking fifteen percent. Which sounds that's that's kind of that's a big awesome. shift. Yeah, awesome. But yeah, there yeah. there are stats Lots. there because uh, <laughs> uh, I'm taking this from the New York Times reporting. Ninety eight percent of developers. Um, that, you know, that, that includes 98% of developers who are now living with a 15% commission. But, um, according to sensor towers research, more than 95% of Apple's app revenues are from companies that are paying the full 30% rate. So, so like, it's not a big difference to Apple. 2% to, of companies. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It is 2% of companies that is like producing all the app store revenue for Apple, which is just even uh, thornier though. Yeah. Yeah. This this whole thing is even thornier because you have to apply for this program. And if you make a million, like over a million dollars, you get kicked out of the program and then have to reapply in the next year. So instead of taking like 15% on the first million and then kicking it up to to 30% for the million in first dollar and beyond, they have this weird program thing that makes it very, very tricky. So you have one breakout hit or you do slightly better and suddenly you've lost 15% of your revenue. You're paying them that extra 15% if you go over that million. So you don't want to be too successful if you're small. (laughs) You just want to try to like hold it, hold it under a million. Um, Kind of a weird thing. And also like, let's talk about what's going on with app stores too. Uh, To get around the Android commission, didn't Apple, didn't Epic just pull Fortnite from the uh, Google store as well? Like people were sideloading it at a certain point. Yeah, I, they yeah. added a sideload option. I think they removed it and then they put it back. Yeah, yeah. Um, they removed it. They they had their sideload option, which comes with a, with a series of warnings. Obviously, mm-hmm. you're you're sideloading an APK. So um, they put it back and we're like, 
that's that's kind of interesting that they decided to put it back. Yeah. Were they just not getting the people downloading? They, what they said was, oh, well, the warnings, they make it really onerous to do this. And they make it, they scare people. So we're going to put it back on the Google Play Store. Of course, now we know they put it back on the Google Play Store. They pulled the same thing by putting an alternate uh, payment processor in the uh, in the core Google Play Store app. Mm-hmm. And then Google pulls it. We don't, we're not talking about the Google suit as much for a couple of reasons. It's the Apple suit because obviously there is no alternate way that you can sideload exactly. easily on Apple mm-hmm. uh, on iOS devices. So the Google the Google suit is less interesting because there are ways into that right. onto those devices, you know, legitimately onto those devices. And then then you get to like the issues around these stores too, because I think the whole thing about Apple is like the App Store is this. It's it's a perfectly safe and secure place to get your apps. Everything's nice and clean. You don't have to worry about getting hacked. You don't have to worry about your credit card database getting stolen or something. The Google Play Store is a freaking frontier. You know, it is filled with <laughs> garbage. It is filled like there. There's tons of like garbage apps. It's not really well regulated. Uh, it's not super secure. There's a lot of malware out there too. Um, it's kind ah. of showing the differences in. I believe yes, that yeah. Google has yeah. tried. I mean, uh, not to defend They've tried Google too because- hard, but we 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 have recent reporting, and and I think Google announced recently that it's updating some of its Play Store policies in an effort to, I think, kind of shirk some of this bad sure. reputation that it has. Um, but it, yeah. the bad reputation exists. Like there, there's a lot oh, of bad sure. stuff there. And it's nowhere near as clean as iOS. And then, yeah, you don't have the choice of using different payment processors, which really all this comes down to is Epic uh, counting its pennies and just wanting more, like Scrooge McDuck or something. Epic has its own app store too, right? It has its own game store on PCs and Macs. And that thing has been struggling. This this court uh, battle also revealed like the amount of money they paid for exclusives because the Epic store offers just, hey, free games, free games, Mm -hmm. come here. Please grab an account. Please stick around. Free games. Um, they pay millions of dollars, uh, sometimes far less to companies, but that's kind of how the Epic uh, Epic wants to build up its own store, too. It doesn't seem like this whole court battle, Mike, is super altruistic, right? Because Epic just wants more. They want more of everything, and they don't really care about the industry. They just want more for themselves. I think it's both. Mm-hmm. I think we can look at this and say there there is obviously some selfish interest here. Um, mm-hmm. Epic you know, Tim Sweeney is has has been very vocal throughout his career about closed ecosystems, about uh, about making sure that there is equal access. So I, I think that part of this certainly comes from uh, a place of wanting to help developers. But but they're a company; they're they are a financial interest. <laughs> um, I think that the interesting thing here is that they're a private company, not a public company. Mm-hmm. So there we can have multiple things in play, but. Do I feel sympathy for either multi-billion dollar company? No. No, I don't. <laughs> um, and, and I think that's where that's where I I found the um the Project Liberty, the free Fortnite campaign. I, I found that to be a little distasteful because you're marketing at a bunch of players, many of whom are minors. Mm-hmm. And you're engaging them in this this huge war between two multi-billion dollar companies that I mean, I don't I don't think there's a whole lot of, no. of love there. There's not they don't know you exist. Like I it's like console wars. Like, why are you standing these huge <laughs> companies? Like, you're a customer. They don't care. You are about a dollar it. sign to them. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it, we are at the point when where like 
the app store, we do kind of have to like look at how it's being controlled because the argument is that Apple is a monopoly here. Well, of course they do. It's their app store. They created this thing. They basically created the app economy. At what point, though, does Apple have to play a little more fairly to maybe be nicer to other developers? They were just sued, uh, was it earlier this year, by the EU over mm-hmm. violating antitrust laws because of these restrictions around the app store, right? They are. And this is going to be, this is a multi-region front. Now, yeah. Epic has sued them in a, in a variety of territories. Like we're talking about the US case because that's what's going on now. There's a UK case, a EU case, and Australia case as well. Uh, what's interesting to me is that uh, Epic put their economic expert witness on the stand from the University College London, uh, who calculated out that if if Apple lowered its revenue share to 6.8%, mm-hmm. they would still make a billion dollars. Sure. So, and the fact that, and the other question that came up because Lori Wright, who's VP uh, over at Xbox, was on the stand. And they're like, well, you charge 30%. And she said, look, here's the difference. Apple makes money on its devices on its hardware business. Yep. Microsoft, and I would go so far as to say Sony, they don't make money on the hardware business. Yep. And in order for them to actually invest in the R&D and everything, in order for those consoles to exist in our living rooms, they need to charge that money on the software side. So the entire business is a loss leader, which is what makes it very different than Apple. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if um, Judge Gonzalez Rogers is going to be sympathetic to Epic, but I think this does raise some questions, and I think there are going to be other ways that Apple is pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, where something is going to have to change because they mm-hmm. are making they're making an enormous amount of money. The question is, are they engaging in anti-competitive behavior? And Apple says no, and they cited a, a case against Qualcomm. We're engaging in hyper-competitive behavior, which is <laughs> not against the law. And That's therefore, just America, we, baby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's capitalism. So yeah. it, it's going to be very interesting to see where the judge falls out on this, because this is a bench trial. This is not mm-hmm. a jury trial. They have one person they need to convince. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 two, three days into this trial, Judge Rogers, man, she was exhausted. <laughs> she, she was yeah. over this whole thing like, already. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it all shakes out. It almost seems like just judging from what I'm seeing from the daily like uh, summaries of what's happening during the trial. It seems she's really into the idea of just of just telling Apple like, hey, um, maybe you should just let people know there's alternatives on the web. Maybe you should stop restricting that within like just that. Just say you can put a note in your app saying if you, you know, if you don't want to pay here or we're not making purchases available on this app um, for whatever reason. Go to the go to the web. I feel like that just removing that restriction alone would go a long way towards opening up the the iOS app ecosystem, right? Yeah, I mean it would still be inconvenient. Yeah, and I think there would still be. But if that's the thing that changes it from anti-competitive to yep. hyper-competitive, and that's all the judge recommends, it'll be interesting to see if that changes the dynamics and how people for sure. approach purchasing in the app store. I think convenience is still going to win out, though. Mm-hmm. I do think like we're, we're at a point where all these companies are getting so big, right? Uh, Apple is a $2 trillion company. They're the biggest company in the world. Uh, Facebook, biggest social network in the world. But we're seeing the price of like their size and their influence now. And it is sort of like the anti-capitalist thing where you, be, where you have to be like, well, you got to slow down somehow because of, you know, because of competitive practices. And maybe we should allow for others to actually succeed while you're taking over the world, you know? Anything else you want to add about the trial, Mike? Like, what are you what are you really looking forward to seeing as this uh, it has a week and a half more, right? I, I am looking forward 
to obviously obviously the verdict in this mm-hmm. because this verdict has the capacity to completely change the way that we purchase and completely change the way in which developers are able to access these ecosystems or it will solidify everything we know now yeah if epic loses and apple wins out even if even if that one provision does change like hey i'm ordering you to remove this one thing that, that like as you said doesn't allow people to to market their options um I think Apple. I don't think there's any stopping Apple at that point. I think that 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 money that they are entrenched, um, and it becomes very hard for anybody to challenge that moving yeah. forward. And that that's what concerns me the most is that this isn't for me about now. This is about into the future because if you if you stop this here, then I don't know how the next competitor builds something up from scratch when you have something someone with that market share both in terms of devices and in terms of software running the table. Excellent. Trillin, do you have any further thoughts? Like, how do you think, do you think this could affect the Android market or anything like things you're looking at? I mean, I think Mike already said it, right? With Android, (laughs) there's a little bit less of an issue because you can just sideload an APK. Um, I think, though, that like Apple opening up and, and shifting its policy a little bit here will mean like it needs to really think about even telling people that you can, you know, make a purchase on the website or something. Right. They are going to have to find very careful wording around that. Like just because if they're going to stick to their guns about this whole, like we're going to keep this a walled garden, we're going to make this unexploitable, the, the security, like, you know, all of our devices is going to be like Fort Knox or whatever. <laughs> um, it's going to take some work to do. But that said, I will say that like, I feel like we've seen Apple ease up a little bit on some things, some things over some the things. years. So we might see them ease up on this because it has got a lot of attention. It doesn't make them look good at all to to kind mm-hmm. of dig their heels in here. So uh, my sense is that Apple may it, one day after whatever the verdict is, I don't know how it's going to, I have no idea how it's going to, to really come out. Um, we might just see Apple make it all about, yeah, totally. It was our idea to like do this and open it up a little teeny tiny bit, but it's huge for developers. So so big for developers. Yeah, yeah. It, it, they'll have to spin it after they figure mm-hmm. out. It's, it's what I'm going to say. Like, that's my mm-hmm. idea of what they're going to do, you know? I do feel like this is a thing Apple will have to confront at its WWDC at the, at the developer conference in the next few months. Like, this is going to be on everybody's minds and we will be paying close attention. Mike, uh, we'll probably get you back on around there to kind of break all this down, but thank you so much for joining us and for talking about all of this to this entire case. Where can we find you on the internet these days? Uh, on Twitter, I am at footerish F U T T E R I S H. The virtual economy podcast has its own Twitter account at virtual Econcast, and also on the web at virtualeconcast.com and all of your favorite podcatchers. Mike, do you want us to ground for Q and a, we could take Yeah, sure. Here. I'm yeah. sure people have questions. Okay, so yeah, we we've got a lot of Q and A. I'm not going chronologically here, but there's one uh, comment from a user Impendo, Impendo maybe, uh, and they say it's not. Yeah, Impendio. Okay, there we go. They say, it's not Apple's fault that the console market relies on selling products at a loss. If Microsoft could sell at a profit, they yeah. would, just like they do with their Surface computers. I, I mean, from my perspective, it, it's apples and oranges. Yep. Um, Literally, be, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, obviously there's there's another way into the software market as well. And that's that's kind of the big difference here is you're not tied into the digital 
the digital market. You're not tied into the the digital marketplace. You can go buy this physical games for most releases. Um, and even thanks to companies like Limited Run, you can purchase even more games, uh, even smaller games physically. I I don't know. For me, we're talking about devices that have two very different purposes. Yes. Uh-huh. And and that's that's part of the big thing here. And that's kind of what drilled down on Lori Wright's testimony where Epic's lawyers were, were asking her on the stand, like, what can't you do on a phone? And it's like, well, you or on a on a console, you can't do this, you can't do that. You're tethered to the wall because you know you mm-hmm. need you need a, a power supply, all of those things. Um, I, I I think you're right. I think if if Microsoft if if the market would bear a, a living room console at a thousand dollars, the way the market bears a phone at a thousand dollars. Um, yeah, I think that's fine. But the but the reality is the market doesn't bear that. And this goes back and, years, right? Because console makers mm-hmm. have always sold their hardware at a loss. Um, Actually, can we get is. a yeah. can we get a fact check? Does Nintendo sell its consoles for a profit? Yeah. They sell them at uh, they won't go lower than break even. And that okay. is and that's why typically it's one of the reasons why Nintendo consoles um, typically don't pack as much power. Mm-hmm. into them well post mm. Wii, right like th- that was the thing like the gamecube had a ton of power the gamecube arguably and i will go, i will stand for this gamecube had more power than you know the ps2 back in the day um but the same was true for the nintendo 64 as well right the amount of 3d graphics in that thing blew away everything on the market and even on the pc side for a very long time and then the GameCube was such a failure, and Nintendo was like, I, I, "I don't know. I need cheap, cheap hardware. What do we got? Motion controls. Okay, let's put it in this thing and sell it for cheap." And it took over the world, and they they were super smart. Yeah. Anything mm-hmm. else, Ben? Um, Chris Rosenkrantz said, "What if Microsoft said you can't have a store on our platform? No Steam for you. They can't. Well, like, and this is the thing I didn't we didn't bring up fully in the episode." iOS is exactly what Apple has always wanted, right? Like the the Apple versus PC, uh, IBM PC compatible like market. Apple was all about, this is our own hardware. This is our own software. You cannot work outside this ecosystem. That's how Macs have always worked. iOS and iPhones and iPads, that is just the ultimate culmination of everything Apple has always built towards, right? They were never about the open app ecosystem and the open internet, whereas that was all PCs were about, so... Yeah, that's also why the Microsoft Store sucks, and uh, they can't get a con- they can't get any real control over their App Store because everyone's used to the way Windows already works. Uh, it's a wild west; everybody understands. Well, we can also go back mm-hmm. if we want to shift the focus from Microsoft to sure. Sony. There was a long time where on PlayStation Three you could install another OS. Yes, and yeah. they removed the option, and they lost the class. Well, they settled yeah. the class action suit because people are like, "I used that other OS. I you know, I yeah. installed Linux on my on my, on PS3 my cell processor PS3." Yeah. yeah. So it's not that those those consoles have always been been closed off. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other piece we didn't talk about was Apple making it very difficult for Amazon with its Luna. Um, Mm-hmm. streaming service google with stadia which we'll see how long that lasts um but most importantly microsoft with its uh with its xbox cloud gaming where they're like you have to have a page in our store for every single game on game pass yeah that you want to stream which is ridiculous yeah it is ridiculous so yeah. they so apple can turn around and say well we offered we said you could do it and microsoft is looking to go that's not that's impossible nobody like, like you have in- I think even during the court proceedings, right, they were like, well, you don't do this for Netflix. 
You know, like you don't force Netflix or other streaming video you know, companies to do this. So what is it about the game companies? It is. Uh, and now Microsoft is beta testing iOS, uh, you know, mm-hmm. game streaming to to Through a progressive web app. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that's kind of where we are. The web, the web will save us, folks. It's, it's really all just comes down to the web. If you want a nice open ecosystem, let's fight for an open web because I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. I mean, Apple even yeah. resorted to moral panic. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because Epic just put the itch.io store in its in its store. <laughs> and they're like, you have fetish games. You have kinky like, games on your store. Oh, and man. Epic's like, well, no, we don't. We have the itch storefront mm-hmm. in our store, but we don't actually sell any of those games. It's like, well, this is what you want to do on iOS. And Epic's like, you can't run these games on iOS. <laughs> like this, this is yeah. this is like this is moral panic. This is oh, you want to do dirty stuff. It's like, have you have you met the Safari? browser we will get back to all this folks this is a ongoing story uh and there are going to be a lot of updates and we still have like a lot a while we have at least a full week left on this trial so we will report back in terms of what's happening mike you want to add anything else in terms of this or things we should be looking out for it's gonna be a wild ride it's gonna be wild sweet (laughs) hold on to your butts exactly exactly let's move on to some other news and boy has it been a busy week uh in other news, Sherlyn, I know you got back from Miami, so I hope you enjoyed your vacation because you got right back into the news cycle. And I died. Folks, you died. Uh, I have been writing since Saturday night uh, because there's been so much news this week. Intel's 11th gen H-series CPUs are finally here, and these are the more powerful ones because we talked – this is where it gets confusing, right? Because we talked about Intel's H-series mobile CPUs uh, a couple of months ago. Those were just the lower wattage uh, H35 chips, and they were aiming those at ultra portable gaming laptops. Those things topped out at four cores. You know, they weren't like the beefiest chips. They weren't the chips you'd be putting in your super workhorse thing that would could replace your desktop. This week, they announced those actual 11th gen series chips, and uh, it's going to be spearheaded by the eight core i9 11980HK. Very, very powerful chip. Basically, like if you were getting a game, if you wanted the best of the best gaming laptop or the best of the best productivity machine, um, these would be the chips you'd find in them. And along with that, uh, yeah, hey, Intel saying like 90% improvement over the last generation. That's kind of what they've been saying over every year. The key is this is their first like super fast chips uh, based on their um, their new lower nanometer processor. So this is the 10 nanometer processor architecture, whereas everything Intel has done before, except for those last H-series chips and the 11th gens, everything else before was uh, 14 nanometers. So we're kind of seeing Intel kind of step up here. Uh, they say these are the fastest single core performing chips uh, you know, in the world. They showed off some stats saying they're faster than uh, AMD's Ryzen, you know, some of their fastest chips. I do think maybe Intel speed advantage goes away as you go down from the highest end i9, like the i5 that they showed off. Uh, in some cases, AMD's hardware kind of beats it out. So I think for normal people, if you're just getting like an affordable laptop or something vaguely, you know, powerful, but not like balls to the wall and i9, um, then it could go either way. You'll still get a fast laptop with AMD. You'll still get a fast one with Intel, but Intel stuff is here. And kind of alongside that, too, NVIDIA confirmed the RTX 3050 <laughs> and 3050 Ti GPUs that Samsung kind of leaked when you were talking about that, Sherlyn. So just hilarious. And these are the key to these is these kind of replace the GTX 1650 and 1660 
GPUs, and those were the things that were typically found in like budget gaming laptops. So now you've got RTX power in machines under $1,000. They're saying like $799 starting price for some of these. I wouldn't expect these to get like full, you know, the best ray tracing performance, but it's still a step up over the older GTX, you know, the older architecture. Um, and you have some advantages too with these laptops, um, like uh, the NVIDIA broadcast app, which uses the RTX uh, AI cores to do things like clean up your audio or clean up your video. If you're watching our live stream right now, actually, I use NVIDIA's broadcast app to give me like a nice background blur and clear up my messy office. So I think for a lot of people, um, for creators, this could be a good thing. But also, if you want a powerful little gaming laptop, you just want to hit 60 FPS. You know, if you just want to hit 60 FPS and, you, you know, you want to play the latest games, this is going to be a really interesting way in for a lot of people. And uh, we also saw a lot of new laptops announced this week from the usual crew. Because of this, we got new Alienware is coming. There's a Razer announced that the Blade, you know, ha- are getting these new processors and some of these new GPUs. So... This has been a big week. If you've been waiting for a gaming laptop, I'd say keep an eye out for what's coming. But also, as always, keep an eye out for last-gen models, too, because you could probably find some nice sales, right? True, true. <laughs> uh, also, on my news list this week. Speaking this of week, gaming, right? <laughs> Tuesday. Tuesday this week was such a... I oh, know. man. HTC confirmed. HTC Vive confirmed the Pro 2 headset and the Focus 3 the big selling point for both of these, these are 5K VR displays. Mm. Um, so a single 5K display that's split uh, between your eyes. So that's 2.5K per eye, technically. Um, these things are <laughs> expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Vi Pro 2 is going to be $749 on its own, $1399 if you don't have the Steam VR kit. So that includes the base stations and the controllers and all that jazz. Um, more expensive than the Valve Index which I think for a while we've been calling like that is the most premium VR you can get right now. So I talked to yeah I talked to uh, HTC Vive. They're saying this is really a push for professional users. It's in the name, right? Uh, pro users who need higher quality, better ergonomics, and maybe um, you know better support in their hardware than you kind of do with the that you get with consumer hardware. They also announced the Focus Three. And the Focus 3 is a standalone VR headset similar to the Oculus Quest and Quest 2. The Oculus Quest starts at $299. The Vive Focus 3 starts at (laughs) $1,399. So (laughs) clearly very different markets. What? Very different markets. Is the price justified at all? Are the guts different? Yeah. Uh, the, oh, sorry. The vibe, the focus three starts at $1,300. Oh my God. So still, still a lot. It is literally a thousand dollars more than the quest two. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. They're saying they have upgrade. They're using the Snapdragon XR2 platform, we've, which we've talked about. They have come up with a little cooling system. So there's like a heat sink and a fan at the front of the display or the front of the VR headset that kind of pop, pipes in cool air and, you know, spits out the hot air. Uh, so it's like a little mini PC. But I think the main thing is that they're they're just doing this because uh, it has. You see that 5K screen. First of all, it is is a lot sharper than the Quest 2s. Uh, it has support for 90 hertz displays, um, and there may be support for 90 hertz is standard on a, on a VR headset, so it's not fancy like a phone. But I did talk to HTC Vive, and they're like, yeah, maybe maybe we can bump it up to 120 or so eventually because uh, the Quest 2 even though it has a less sharp display, 
the Quest 2 can get it to 120 hertz, um, you know, in, in a beta mode. So this is really the battle that we're looking at, like standalone VR, $299 for the Quest 2 for a really easy to use consumer headset, uh, you know, with a decent app store. This thing is $1,300. HTC says they're clearly not aiming at the same type of customer. They're going after businesses and people who need like fleets of VR headsets for training and things like that. The battery is hot swappable, which is certainly not you cannot do that in the Quest 2 at all. The battery is actually in the back head strip um, of the Focus 3, so you can kind of pop it out and pop a new one back in. Um, they say everything's easy to clean. Uh, they also offer like a lot of uh, business services and warranties. So if like something breaks, you ship it to them and they'll ship you out like a new thing or fix it as soon as they can. So basically a lot of support that you don't normally get on a consumer headset. There's also like IT maintenance, uh, IT admin management for these headsets too. Not super exciting, but I think like it just kind of shows uh, where this industry is headed right now. HTC Vive is not super concerned about the consumer market right now because uh, turns out Facebook has nearly limitless funds and can just pour whatever they need to to make consumer VR work. And it's really hard for a company like HTC Vive to compete, right? I, I'm interested to because see what I thought, I think for a while when there were like in-person VR experiences at, you know, arcades and whatnot mm-hmm. i i was under the impression the and maybe i'm wrong or right that in the early days the htc vive and the htc valve were the you know popular setups for these situations uh, i was talking to my cousin recently and she mm-hmm. like very aggressively tried to correct me which i highly doubt she's right um <laughs> but uh <laughs> name that, name Sherlyn. oh yeah no she knows no. who she is uh, the, um, <laughs> the, the 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 is is it less popular nowadays the htc uh headsets are are the oculus quest just more popular even in these you know more you know not individual consumer setups but like businesses that run consumer experiences you know what I mean? no so for business stuff and basically what we've seen over the last year a lot of businesses still like uh stuff like the vive and you know similar similar like fancy headsets because they have the tracking sensors they have right. like the sensors that you stick up on the wall right and that tracking is usually a lot more accurate than the yeah. built-in tracking that's on the quest and other that's headsets too yeah yeah so for businesses so- a lot of them still prefer that but if you're just running, like when we go to do, uh, when we used to go to film festivals and things yeah. like that, and you just want to pop on a quick thing and look at a quick VR experience, then yeah, the consumer headsets are more popular there. If you're just sitting down and looking at 360 degree video or something, or like doing a small experience in a small room, but if you're doing something serious yeah. and you need to like, you need accurate uh, motion you know, yeah. tracking and things like that, then room base, yeah, yeah. room yeah. base is where you're at and you need those sensors. Yeah. So I'm right. So I'm going to tell my cousin <laughs> to right. suck it. My coworker said I'm right. I don't yeah. care if the stats um, bear you out yet. title of the I'm episode is Sherlyn is right. Sherlyn <laughs> is right. Let me let me throw some news your way, Sherlyn. Do you want to talk oh to us about the um, uh, the Biden administration and what they're I doing with Uber and Lyft, which I think is a big, it's a big thing. Yeah. Okay. Tell you what. I've been seeing yeah. uh, these. I, I'm a an, like sort of abashed frequent user of rideshare apps and recently i can't drive you know exactly and it's to me feels safer to take a cab anyway um so the biden administration announced this partnership where uh with uber and lyft where it will offer everyone in the u.s free and discounted rides to and from COVID 19 vaccination sites it will start in the next two weeks around the end of may and then it will run till the fourth of july 
So uh, I've already been seeing some alerts in the mm-hmm. uh, Uber app at the very least, where it's like, oh, you can schedule a vaccination for free and that sort of stuff, uh, even prior to this announcement. But I believe that's all kind of folded into this now. And basically, if you have one of these apps, or if you, even if you don't, you can install one and get a free ride to your vaccination <laughs> appointment. Uh, I think for for specific uh, locations or people, you can also schedule a vaccination through the mm-hmm. app. Uh, from oh what God. I saw, I know. I, from what I saw, Uber, um, you know, has teamed up with Walgreens. Mm-hmm. It looks like the Walgreens little Band-Aid logo is on the mm-hmm. app. And according to uh, the report, it does look like this bill is on free and discounted ride programs that both rideshare apps have been running recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uber, like we said, teamed up with Walgreens on things like a vaccine access fund that will let people cover the cost of rides uh, from their vaccination appointments. Uh, yeah. You can, yeah, you can do that in Uber. You can book the vaccination appointment. Lyft has also, you know, been doing this for a while, offering free rides for people who need them to their vaccination um, sites. And it's always been funded by, you know, corporate <laughs> sponsors and maybe private, mm-hmm. uh, you know, investors or donations. So you, you know what? We talk a lot about the the crappiness of the gig economy and everything yeah. right now, but it is nice when like you can tap the the actual innovation things happening around like the tech available to hopefully end the pandemic. I don't know. Oh, yeah. People, this is also my PSA. For the love of God, if you can get your vaccinations, get your vaccinations. There's a lot of literature out there about why it's safe. It is fully safe. I understand there may be some concerns about side effects because I've talked to some people who are like, they don't want to get their second shots because they're they're worried about feeling a a little a little sicky. One day, I felt um, nothing the next day. Yeah, I, I felt no, I felt nothing at all, and I was, you know, that's lucky. That's lucky if you feel I was nothing. Very but lucky. those second day, those second shot symptoms are nothing compared to what could happen if you get COVID or if you, you know, share it within I, your family or whatever. So, for the love of God, please get your vaccine. Tell please. you what, I have a confession yeah. to make. Right, earlier uh-huh. on, I was definitely one of those people who was a little hesitant on, like, oh no, what will the long term effects be? This hasn't been tested for so long. I'm already fully like vaxxed and I'm good mm-hmm. at this point the reason i went uh, a few reasons one i actually realized that like there's a lot of other stuff we're doing in this world that could kill me faster than the long-term effects of a vaccination also the long-term <laughs> effects of getting covid also that long-term i definitely don't want to get covid first worse. of all don't yeah. i mean let's <laughs> let's setting aside the covid re- yeah. relationship to this uh uh-huh. i could die from secondhand smoke because my neighbors won't stop smoking i could die mm. from you could die in your apartment if you set things. a fire in your microwave. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Any number toxins are in every anyway, right? Think of yeah. all these things, and somehow where I was afraid of like long term effects that maybe haven't been measured effectively yet. I'm like, maybe it's just safer to be the, the second reason I actually went and got my vaccination. Uh, when I did was because uh, I had an appointment opened up to me earlier than all my friends, so I was like, ah, I'm gonna be first. <laughs> so I went and had bragging that, rights for pure. a little bit. Yeah, that, that's so. pure trillet. Hey, I don't care. Get your bragging rights, whatever it takes. Uh, take advantage of these free rides. Uh, yeah, it's that's gonna be better also, for everybody. It's the only way we can crush this. Yeah. Two things to add uh, to be very clear. Uh-huh. One, it's not like uh-huh. Uber and Lyft won't benefit from this. Yes. Yeah, okay. If exactly. Never, this yeah, is great PR. It will benefit. Yeah. yeah. But two, uh, after your second shot, just still be careful because it's not doesn't mean you can go like pack yourself into a club and start dancing on people what did you, what did you do what did you do surely i did not i'm just saying do not because <laughs> there's still variants out there it doesn't mean that the there's vaccinations still wait your two weeks get your shot yes. wait your two weeks and then and celebrate still, responsibly still be yeah. careful because you don't want to get the flu 
You don't want to get other kinds oh, of diseases. Just be safe. We're, we're going to... Let's, let's go back to... <laughs> actual tech news, yes. <laughs> actual tech news and tech being bad. Uh, just wanted to bring up this quick thing we saw about oh WhatsApp. Apparently, if you do not uh, acknowledge, if you don't agree to WhatsApp's new privacy policy, which uh, just makes it clear that there's going to be more data sharing between mm. your WhatsApp account and your Facebook account. Like, it's mm. going to be a unified, like, information sharing thing. WhatsApp will basically stop working over time. Like, they're going to stop letting you actually get to your message list. You'll only be able to reply to messages um, when you get them. Uh, And over time, like, you'll, yeah. Yeah. So at first, you'll lose access to the chat list. And then eventually, uh, I think within a few weeks, uh, you just you won't be able to message at all. You can still export your chat history and just leave the account or you accept the privacy agreement. This is weird. I don't know if you have thoughts about this, Sherlyn. Oh. This just seems like a very Facebook strong arming, you yeah. know, uh, a little app. They they paid a lot of money for this, so this is yeah. why they paid seventeen billion dollars well, for WhatsApp. But I I know, would like users. Mr. Facebook mm-hmm. Zuckerberg, oh, to tell me Whoa. why. First of all, <laughs> do I need to do this? Agree? Like, what what am I agreeing to? Why do I need to agree to it? But B, they need I'm, your data. They need right. you. Don't you love your grams? Don't you love all your free apps? They Screw. need your stuff that i so my thoughts on this are basically i guess either i'm not talking to my parents anymore or i'm moving them to telegram and that will be a pain in my butt because my parents my mom just figured out how to use stickers on uh, whatsapp and we've been having a hell of a fun time i don't think that's gonna happen it's not gonna happen she's just not moving over to telegram yeah yeah i don't think that's gonna happen with your parents it's not gonna happen with like all of us that have like group chat groups I'll convince them. We, we got this. Are, are you sure? Are you sure? They're like, Sherlyn, we have we have all our friends on WhatsApp. Uh, we'll no, talk I have to all you my on friends Telegram, on Telegram. Sherlyn. I have no, all my I'm friends on Telegram. No, I'm saying your parents will still use oh. to, uh, your parents will still use WhatsApp. So you're not actually you're just solving yeah. it for yourself. The you problem know? is that they're so like it's not just me. They do talk to all of their friends and coworkers exactly. through WhatsApp, exactly. which is deeply annoying. So many businesses use WhatsApp for work. <laughs> so this is really, I mean. This is a uh-huh. huge thing. This is a lot of people can't quit mm-hmm. WhatsApp. We've said this before in the show. So anyhow. this is what happens when Facebook gets too big. I think part of the story, though, is that some of this data sharing could have been happening already. And here's the thing. We don't know right. because right. Facebook doesn't always make this stuff totally clear. Uh, there are some people noting that this could just be WhatsApp being more transparent about True. the data it's sharing with Facebook. Um, so agreeing to that isn't actually going to change much, but we don't know. We don't exactly know because Facebook does not divulge everything they take from people. But, you know, Facebook is a data vampire, so (laughs) you got to let the vampire suck your blood if you want to keep partying on WhatsApp. How about that? I mean, they look like our pads, but they don't. Anyway, but but here's the thing. I've been trying to convince people to ditch WhatsApp for the longest time, and I've had no success. Uh-huh. So we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll see if this. The is Facebook it vampires, by the way, look like uh, Zuckerberg with the oh, with the God. sunscreen. That's what they all look like. Oh, that okay, one. So. Oh no, that picture. <laughs> the surfing photo. Oh, That's boy. what the Facebook vampire hey, look, looks like. Liberal use of sunscreen is something I stand. So. Stand, but you got to rub it in, people. You yeah, gotta, you, you got to like get blended <laughs> in a little. Uh, let's move on to some fun news. Uh, remember Quibi? Super fun. No, Quibi is back what is in Roku form. Quibi okay. is back. The, the We talked about all those original shows on Quibi. Uh, part of the reason Quibi raised nearly $2 billion for itself is to create a lot of original programming. Quibi failed. Roku bought that stuff for very, very little money. I believe it was like, I got to look up the exact number, but it was like something like 20 to 25 million. Um, 
Roku is going to be releasing 30 ex-Quibi shows as Roku Originals on yeah, May right. 20th. So those shows won't die. Um, so that's a thing. I don't, I don't know if those shows are still watching, but you'll be able to see things like The Fugitive Remake, Die Hard, Chrissy's Court, and Dismantled. I hated Dismantled. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll be able to see them on Quibi devices for free. Uh, talk Bro- about another Quibi service, devices? by the way, that is um, that is existing entirely based on sucking in user information and ads and things like that. Like that is Roku's big deal. Now they're actually making a ton of money from their free movies and stuff that they're offering because they get a lot of user data and they get a lot of ad money from that. So anyway, more free stuff for Roku. If you have a Roku device, you'll be able to check this out. The Roku app is free on iOS and Android too. So you have a lot of ways to check out these shows and maybe it'll uh, help people find some new stuff you know like I, I don't know tell us are you interested in watching any of these Roku originals kind of Jolyn are you gonna be yeah kind of wanted to see the uh Chrissy's court one and uh the uh the Hemsworth so one I, yeah uh-huh. I'm not I don't exactly see, think he's so not me. even the good Hemsworth he's the bad hey! Hemsworth you know in this show. he's the okay Hemsworth he's not too bad uh, he was in Hunger Games <laughs> Let's move on to what we're working on. I, I'm i working on so many things. My working on entry right now is just a big old sigh because yep. I have a big review and a lot of things launching soon. So check out all of our embargoed news that hit this week, like all that stuff that we wrote up. Uh, check it out. I got a ton of stuff. I, I don't have much else to add. Trillian. You have the benefit of getting some time off. You get to rest. Uh, no, that's Surely a- you're coming back in fully <laughs> relaxed, right? Uh, I one day I will point back to this moment in time and say, "Remember this week? This is when it all went to shit." Um, yeah. This is the week I will because be talking you took a vacation in yeah. future. Basically, yeah, all hell broke loose because I took a no, uh, no. I came back and had to dive straight into um, finishing my review of the Galaxy Book Pro 360. Uh, I, it will be up soon. I can't tell you exactly when, but I have been working on reviewing it. That much I can say. Um, and you know, everyone who's been listening to this podcast is very aware that Google IO is next week. So I'm doing a lot of prep for that. And, uh, there's some pretty, you know, background stuff that, uh, still not at Liberty to discuss, but it is pretty huge in terms of like my work for me. So, you know, like me and Devendra, we're just both sighing because, uh, the work doesn't end. We're very happy to, to have gainful employment. It's fun work. It's just Um, like, especially right now. The volume. Uh, but sometimes it, it just like crushes your soul. Like remember, kids, even <laughs> when you have a job you love, sometimes it can be very hard. It's okay. I, yeah, just find we, time we, to relax. Yeah. I want to remind everyone. I, I understand how privileged we are to have jobs, yeah. and I don't yeah. want like people listening to feel too worried for us. We will be fine. It's just a lot of work, and we're just going to complain a little bit because you know I'm, I'm a complaining you can girl. Complain. You can complain. Yeah. We cannot just get drinks and uh, exactly. with each exactly. other. So we just we just complain on the podcast now. <laughs> Let's move on to our pop culture picks. Surely you have something fun, Trillin. I have been dedicating myself to watching a few more like Asian uh, uh-huh. films. So for AAPI month this month, I'm continuing to recommend y'all some Asian stories, Asian entertainment uh, products, I guess. This past weekend, I've seen three Asian films on Netflix. I'll start with, and they're all three very science fiction um, heavy uh, films and mm-hmm. from different parts of the Asian, specifically East Asian, I want to say diaspora. So let's start with um, South 
Korean. This is Space Sweepers. Have you heard of yes. it? Yes. I've heard of it. I need to check it out. Yeah. It is. It's it's a space opera, basically, and uh, features your kind of like you like I like you like the style of the underdog, the gritty, the no good. I do. It do looks for like nothing. Firefly in space. It looks like Firefly, basically, but uh, with uh, a lot, yeah, a a lot of bit. stuff. Yeah. A little bit, but with um, a, the are, way are they that, irreverent rebels? Do yes, they, they are. Are they exactly. on a ship where they have to go on missions exactly. to steal stuff? And oh, totally. A sexy robot, probably yeah. stealing space junk with their sexy robot. Yeah. And uh, yeah. but they come across sassy this. robot, not sexy robot, but that's another thing. She's she is very sassy. Uh, <laughs> if you're into robots, she might be sexy. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, but they they encounter a little girl who the media is after because she's a very explosive android, a very dangerous android, and so they are like are trying to sell her for money, that sort of stuff. It's exactly the sort of story I think you like, Dev, but also mm-hmm. similar in style to Parasite in the sense that you have this very gritty side of the world. And then you have this very high-end, clean-living <laughs> side of the story, too. It sounds more like Snowpiercer, to be honest. It's also like, yeah. very Snowpiercer vibes, except for they're not it all turns out Bong Joon-ho was like, really, that, that's his yeah. jam. Yeah, like, that's yeah, his whole yeah. thing. But this, I don't believe it was Bong Joon-ho. But anyway, Space Sweepers on yeah. Netflix pretty good i have two more to go through so let's get through them go, space sweepers was actually my least favorite of the three my next favorite wandering earth uh also on netflix also a great very well received uh movie this oh my god the premise is amazing based on a short story by liu Cixin, who is the author of uh-huh. three body problem a really mm-hmm. also famous uh, science fiction novel um this is where the our, the sun Spots uh, basically give up and die and explode and consume everything. And yep. so, you know the premise, right? This yeah, is like so. the ultimate uh, sequel to Sunrise, basically. <laughs> the premise but is ridiculous. Sunshine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, the, so people, the intrepid scientists and astronauts are all like, we're going to build a shit ton of engines to move the Earth to another Earth, galaxy. We're going to yeah. propel it. And that's why the Earth wanders to another galaxy. It's, it's, I, I see. It's quite amazing. <laughs> I won't spoil the ending for you. I don't know if you've seen it, Dev. Please don't. Okay. The ending is as wild as the premise. Yeah. So (laughs) the ending is very wild, too. I love the ending. It was insane. Anyhow, that one was good. And it's just more of a Chinese production, but it was very international in nature. It was very Mm -hmm. much like, you know, I love how authentic the actors from other regions in this movie were, too. They spoke their own Mm -hmm. languages flawlessly. Uh, There's very little, like accents that are this uncomfortable to hear at least from me as a person who understands a few languages um <laughs> finally the, the 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 last of the trio i'm gonna recommend it's my favorite the soul also on netflix was released in february this year i believe the reason it piqued my interest first of all is because it stars christopher lee lee ming shun a singaporean actor a big freaking deal in singapore but no one else outside of singapore knows who the hell he is (laughs) but he is a legend in singapore um but this movie holy crap it starts out like the kind of supernatural show that i might be into and Mm -hmm. asian supernatural stuff is really my jam because it gets real weird but it's actually really deep batshit sci-fi and it goes it the way all the reviews have written this is that it's full of twists the twists keep coming and it truly will not stop serving you twists all the way until the end (laughs) it's ridiculous I did really enjoy it. It's, it's very, very wacky science fiction if you were into that. And it's got a bit of a... But it's also at its heart about family, grief, and uh, love for 
different people in your life. It's really moving. I think I cried a couple times. The acting in this is really well done. The story is a little hard to follow sometimes, but it's it's twisty. Anyway, if you want to check out an Asian film this weekend on Netflix, you have three options, and those are the order of how science fiction batshit they are. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. I'm going to yeah. just quickly run through mine. Um, I've been checking out some anime because I felt a little anime yeah. deprived lately. So <laughs> I've been working my way through Demon Slayer, which is streaming now on Netflix. Um, mainly because I want to see this show. I want to see the movie that mm-hmm. is up. I hear that good is currently about in some theaters. Yeah, I hear good things. It's a typical like, uh, you know, shonen anime where it's uh, people, people fighting and stuff. Uh, but it is, it's about a, a young boy whose entire family is massacred by demons. His sister mm. becomes a demon and he is on a mission to cure her and also become a demon slayer because the world <laughs> is, uh, yes. there are demons everywhere. Uh, there, there's a lot of cool fighting and powers in this. And I also really appreciate that the ana- the animation looks good too. I actually just finished up uh, Invincible on Amazon. And I've talked with you guys about this. I hate the way that show looks. Um, oh, yeah, I know. This one actually has like great fluid animation, cool characters, lots of great twists, a lot of annoying characters, to be honest. Like it is one of those anime series that will go from, you know, serious bits to, uh, you know, ripping people apart violently to Love like it. cute chibi comedy, oh. which uh, I can't. Sometimes the whiplash between those is just way, way too much. But I'm enjoying it so far. Um, I don't know if I'll finish it in time time for the movie but mm-hmm. we'll see um i've also been watching yasuke which i've been really looking forward to uh it tells us the tale of the only black samurai a real life figure oh, um who existed in 16th century yes. japan it's directed created by Lashawn thomas has lakeith stanfield as the main voice actor like so many people i love it is co-created by flying lotus um maybe flylo also did like some of the story and he does the mm. soundtrack like it is if you were to craft an anime show just for me, based on everything I love and people I like, <laughs> uh, this is kind of what it would look like. Uh, it is a cool show, but it's also yeah. like um, it goes into feudal Japan through yes. the eyes of like Ninja Scroll. So yeah. it's not just like normal samurai. It's also like giant robots and people yeah. with magic powers and stuff. It is uh, it's a ton of fun. I'm really enjoying it. And I love the soundtrack. So check out Yasuke on Netflix um, and also My, something a little yeah. tamer. Yeah, what, mm-hmm. what do you think, Sherlock? I was going to say my friend Sam Rutherford tried to get us, uh, me, me, his wife, and him to watch it uh, at some point. And uh, me and Monica are not the biggest anime fans, but he was very disappointed uh-huh. that we didn't want to watch Yasuke. I, I'm so sad. Well, you could you, tell Sam at some point. Sam from Gizmodo, yes. uh, you know, I followed his work for a while. Sam can join us at some point, and we'll just awesome. talk about Yasuke. Oh, yes. It'll be great. Well, yeah, yeah. We'll do that. I have a space thing to share, which is not as crazy as either thing you have talked about, Sherlin. <laughs> But it's another Netflix thing. And boy, I've seen this. Netflix is really diving into yeah. sci-fi and like, mm-hmm. you know, cool genre stuff really well. It's mm-hmm. called Stowaway. It's directed by Joe Penna. It is a movie about a three-person crew mm-hmm. that is on a mission to Mars. Three people played by Anna Kendrick, Daniel Day Kim, and also Daniel Day Kim's beautiful arms. Just like <laughs> this is a movie that just puts they, Daniel yes, Day Kim in gorgeous. tight t-shirts, but he's also a scientist. So it's Daniel Day Kim in tight t-shirts Ooh, and like and glasses. Mm. Ooh, okay. uh, there's a lot going on there. And uh, Tony Collette is the the like mm. captain of this mission. They find after they launch somebody was stuck inside of like a compartment in the spaceship. So that's uh he's played by Shamir Anderson, and they find this guy and they're like, "What's uh? How did this guy get here?" How did not anybody not notice it? 
and uh, what's his deal, right? Did he get here accidentally? Is he trying to like sneak his way to Mars or something? This movie is basically like a play in space because it's all about, you know, people going on a bold mission and then something complicates it. Uh, I, I think there's like allegories here for like the refugee crisis. Uh, if you're three people on a you know mission somewhere, you only have resources for three people and another person pops up. What do you do? If there are life-threatening, you know, issues, who do you prioritize? Like, it is all about things like that. But I also think it's really well done. It's incredibly well acted. Um, The visual effects, this is, you know, a movie that has, I think, one big set. But there are points where they go, like, outside and they have to deal with things. They have to do a spacewalk at some point. I think the visual effects really shine there even though this is clearly like a lower budget thing for netflix Mm -hmm. so yeah if you like uh, you know uh drama of people trapped together and dealing with difficult circumstances i think it's worth watching and Mm -hmm. i really love this movie you can check out my full review at the slash film cast too um yeah because we we dive really deep into this one but i think you'd appreciate it shrillin uh jonathan anderson on the chat says have you all seen jupiter's legacy that's another one right netflix has all of these like i refuse you, refuse. you refuse to watch that one? Okay, that one I has been like... I refuse to watch that one. First of all, I'm superheroed out, but that's also okay. the only show I've ever seen to get a one-star rating uh- <laughs> on Rolling Stone. Like, everybody hates it. And you know oh, what? No. I'm happy. I'm happy that everybody hates it because I don't okay. have to watch this other superhero yes. thing. So... Okay. Oh, I've been, save yourself, I've been like Save yeah, yourself. I've been curious yeah. about checking it out, but okay, I'll do Stowaway first. I also want to quickly shout out when you were naming all the actors, I forgot to shout out on Wandering Earth, it uh-huh. also stars freaking Wu Mengda, who is Ng Man in in Cantonese or English, and he is the longtime collaborator of Stephen Chow. I don't know if you guys know, but like yeah, freaking yeah, yeah. that man, a, a legend in Chinese oh, film history. That's great. So what, much stuff. What, man, Stephen Chow just disappeared, didn't he? I he really kind of did, kind of yeah. did, because he yeah. couldn't make himself seem like God in most films again. So <laughs> um, you know. He's we'll done. always have Shaolin Soccer and God of Cookery yes. and Kung Fu Hustle. Like, I, yes. I love that man. I wish he was still prevalent. Yeah, he and could do something really million, fun. And the $600 man is one of his films, too. <laughs> Way early, but it was pretty good. One of my childhood favorites. <laughs> Well, that's it for our episode, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Deonor. You can check out another piece of his in the video commercial for the light blue Nintendo Switch. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter and talking about movies and TV all day at the slash filmcast at slash film.com. If you want to send me movies that Singaporean actors have randomly appeared on, I will love that. <laughs> Please send them to me on Twitter at Sherlyn Lowe. Email us your thoughts and feedback at podcast.engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes. And subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. We are everywhere, including Spotify. Once again, we'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Mouser Electronics. Not only does Mouser stock the world's widest selection of semiconductors and electronic components, they also offer an original content series called Empowering Innovation Together. Each month, EIT takes a deep dive into the hottest tech trends, and this month the focus is on 5G. Check out podcasts, articles, infographics, videos, and more at mouser.com slash empowering innovation. The day this all happened, it was like a game of Yu-Gi-Oh! 